0: Hello and Welcome to another episode of Jackman Radio. Um, I apologize for the delay. We were having some uh, technical difficulties, but um, we do have uh, Mr. Paul Schrade here. Um, he's going to be talking to us uh, via my phone while we do this live stream. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with Mr. Schrade, um, he was the former director of the United Auto Workers in California. He was a personal friend and campaign aide of Senator Robert F. Kennedy. And He's also a survivor of the 1968 um, shooting and assassination of uh, Bobby Kennedy. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Okay, Mike. Good to be with you. Hope I can help out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, you know, right now this, this story is, um, it's in the news, man. It's everywhere. So I think it's a very timely and uh, good and appropriate time to talk about the case um, you know, before we kind of delve into that, I, I just wanted to ask you, um, you know, how did you go about meeting Bobby Kennedy, and, and what were kind of some of the early experiences you had with him like?
1: Well, I first met him uh, at the airport here in Los Angeles. He was on uh, I was going out with a friend to DC, and he was going uh, to Kenosha, Wisconsin uh he was a member of a committee that was investigating corruption in unions and corporations and uh he was heading for kohler reason you go to kohler the republicans were after him say hey, you're doing this job on jimmy hoffa and the corruption of the users but what about the uaw what about the united auto workers what about the uh your boycott in, in Kenosha of uh, the Kohler Corporation. Well, Bob was on his way to Kenosha to find out what was going on. He got back to the committee and said, look, uh, if I were in Kenosha and, uh, working for Kohler, I would be on a uh, strike and boycott, too, because they're working in 120-degree temperatures sometimes for eight hours at a time, and I think that's terrible working conditions and the UNW is right to be on strike in more
0: That was my first time. Wow. So, okay, during that time you were kind of helping to organize the workers and was that kind of around the time that you were, you know, you had met, you know, Chavez and with the, the farmers and because you kind of, kind of yeah, helped for- I, I, started the UIW, I was a dropout on a, a
1: chemistry scholarship program at Yale. I, did, I decided to work my final year and go back, uh, but I got involved uh, with the union, the North American Aviation, which was a UAW uh, uh, affiliate, and uh, got talking to uh, skilled workers working on the first 86 Saber Jet fighter and. Uh, They convinced me that I would be a member of the union, and so I signed up, and uh, within three years, I was president of a local of about uh, 14,000 people. Wow. (laughs)
2: And from there, I uh, kept organizing and became regional director for the UIW. was on the... uh, International executive the theodore,
1: with Walter Ruther, and, uh, and that's where I uh, began uh, having some contact with with the Kennedys, and uh, I was supporting uh, Adlai Stevenson in, in nineteen sixty because
2: uh, we supported. Uh, 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 uh,
0: Uh, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a wellstone, right? It wasn't uh, related to. I'll have to see. If, yeah, no, I can look that up really quick. So, 1960, governor of uh, Wisconsin. The there were
1: there were two. Uh, Adlai Stevenson. I was supporting him because I was living in Michigan at the time as an assistant to Walter Luther. and he you know, was in South America. Came back and uh, had canceled a big rally we had worked out for, uh, for him in Lansing, Michigan. We had several thousand people ready uh, in Lansing. And he canceled about us. I called his guys in Chicago and I said, What's going on here? He said, Well, we don't know. And I said, What do you mean you don't know? So I went to Rooster and said, Look, I think Emily Stevens wants to be drafted, and it's not possible. And uh, he said, well, let me call Bob. So he called Bob and Kennedy, and, and uh, Bob said, send Paul back to California because he's got delegates uh, that were supporting uh, Stevenson in the, the last election. And that's what I did. I went back to uh, LA and, and began working with Bob in the uh, JFK convention. And um, then there was this big crisis within uh, the convention and, and within the, the Kennedy group uh, because who was going to be the vice president? And uh, the, the major there's a major push for a push for uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson, and uh, Bob Kennedy didn't want him. And uh, at one point uh, JFK made the decision uh, to. Make uh, make uh, Lyndon Johnson Lee, uh, his vice presidential candidate, and uh, took Bob and uh, into the back in the hotel and
2: just told him that, that this is the way it was going to be. And Bob was really angry about that, all that.
1: But what happened was that Bob came over to the, uh, our hotel uh, where uh, most of the uh, big union presidential uh, uh, union presidents were assembled with Walter Ruther and I was there. And uh, they were pretty angry about uh, the delay. Bob uh, came into the our, our room, uh, Reuther suite, and, and uh, said, "It's going to be Lyndon Johnson." No. The way it happened, they, they heard on television that you know, it was Lyndon Johnson. Well, Bob came in and they just jumped all over him and, and Bob was a coward at that point. And I was laughing and May Ruth Walter White, said, why are you laughing at, I, said, I, I predicted this.
2: And uh, I said, it just made sense politically right now. And I was a critic of, of Lyndon Johnson
1: because of my anti-war activities. So anyway, uh, the convention rolled on and uh, for Kennedy and Johnson, but then the Michigan delegation was off the floor and uh, uh, getting ready to oppose uh, the, the Johnson uh, selection. And Bob came over to uh, our suite and, sent over and said to Walter, he said, what's happening? Uh, uh, he said, well, we've got a couple of vice presidents over there. They'll, I'm sure they'll convince the delegation to go with the, with the ticket, the, the Kennedy, uh, ticket. Well, it rolled on and rolled on. And, and finally I said to Bob, I just, uh, we've got the statement, uh, that was made about, uh, uh the way the campaign is going to deal with it. We ought to get back to the Michigan delegation. And Walter said, no, let's wait until let's wait and see. Well, Bob reached into his pocket and pulled out a badge, a Texas delegate badge, uh, and he pinned it on me and uh, takes his statement over to the U.A. Well, the Michigan delegation and and get, and get read it. And so that's, that was my job at that point. Uh, and... Uh, and so here I was on the, on the floor of the convention with Texas delegate badge, meeting some of the delegates. I had convinced to go with Bob Kennedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it had a little bit of difficulty getting into the caucus room of the, the Michigan delegation. But the vice president of the union, Leonard Mookock, was dealing with the the, with the delegation, you know, uh, you know, advising them that this is our only. Uh, this, uh, this is not our decision, but we had to go along. Well, when, I, when he read the statement I brought over, where uh, Johnson was, made this really good uh, liberal, democratic kind of uh, statement, uh, you could feel the pressure going out of the room. And what happened within uh, several minutes is Michigan delegation decided to go on the floor and just vote no or yes to, to any and not do a, uh, a roll call. So that's, you know, one of the things that, that I got through with, uh, you know, got to know Bob Kennedy and worked with him, and uh, uh, he was a very impressive person and, and working on an individual basis because I worked with him for two weeks at the convention. And we became fast friends and
0: allies at that point. Wow, that's that's incredible. That's quite a story. It sounds like there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of cloakroom, backroom, wheeling and dealing and, uh, you know, what they call smoke filled room stuff going on, you know? Um, yeah. because uh, I mean, you know, there was, there was of course rumors and you know, for the 64 election that JFK wanted to drop LBJ from the ticket because they didn't really get along and Bobby didn't get along with them. So I don't know. Did you ever hear anything about that? Do you think there's any truth or validity to that? Okay. So, so, uh, skipping forward a little bit, uh, Paul, um, you, you know, you're at the ambassador hotel on June the 5th, 1968. Um, you know, RFK has basically declared victory in the California primary. There's very iconic footage of him at the dais, you know, saying it's on to Chicago and let's win there. And you're up there. I mean, you're up there right in the thick of it. You're, you're, you're right. Standing right behind, you know, Bobby right to the side and, and, uh, what happened after that? Well, d- before that happened,
1: uh, I got, uh, Bob in- involved with the farm workers union with Cedric Chavez and Dolores Huerta back in 1965, because that's okay. what Cedric asked me to do. And he came out for a, uh, Senate hearing. that was the, held did a spectacular job and and Became really cemented in that relationship with Dolores and, and Cesar. Wow. The other thing that happened was that, uh, and, and our union was really big support of the farm worker struggle because we could see that the uh, the, the uh, different minorities in our state, the Latinos and the, and the black and, and even the Japanese, were in a very poor uh, a position of, of getting anything done. He also visited our Watts Labor Community Action Committee uh, which uh, was set up just before the first riot in in Los Angeles and he checked out that organization that I put together when I was regional director in in California and Ted Watkins was a major leader there who I appointed to my staff and he started off in in great shape and and, and building uh, a strong organization in Watts. Well, Bob Kennedy wanted to go there and see that, and he did. And he went back to Brooklyn when he was now senator, uh, uh, a U.S. senator from, from New York, and he put that same uh, strategy and organization into play called the Bedford Stratus and Restoration Project. And so here, you know, our uh, relationship was built upon getting together, doing good things in in minority communities and and doing good politics and so I had this very strong relationship. He couldn't get a a viable union uh, person for his campaign uh, because most of them were not pro-war and and, uh, Mm. uh, most of them were pro-war and I I was anti-war, I was in the anti-war movement. Big time, and, and so I became his labor chair because of that he wanted that image of in California. So that's the way we started off in the campaign with uh, uh, I was his uh, uh, labor chair in that
0: campaign. Wow. Yeah. And I think, you know, Bobby, you know, obviously with, you know, his, his role as attorney general, um, you know, during his brother's administration, um, very, you know, very tough on crime, going after the mob. Um, you know, kind of a hard-nosed fellow by a lot of accounts, but um, especially with respect to Vietnam, ended up becoming kind of dovish on it and and, and speaking out pro- probably the most forcefully in the 1968 primary against the Vietnam War out of all the candidates. You, yeah, they, that's why he began getting student support as well. Um,
1: the young people are the, the, the made, our major group in the anti-war movement, uh, but I was with them and I was out in the, in the campaign against the war and uh, that got me in trouble with Walter Ruth as the president of my union because uh, he was my mentor from 1968 when I first joined the union and uh, became an officer of the local, became a regional lecture member of the national board and he took me on uh, after Bob uh, came out for the end of the fast a 23-day fast of Cesar Chavez, he wanted Bob there, and I was able to arrange that, and uh, he was there and, and, and you know, uh, spent time with, with Cesar, but we had a 10,000-person farm farmworker uh, audience in the uh, Delano Park uh, where Bob spoke, and uh, as a result of that, uh, he, you know, really secured his support in the Latino community statewide and uh, the black community funding is doing really the Watch favorite Trade Action Committee. So, when I endorsed him, I, uh, a couple of days before a national board meeting, and I went to Detroit for the board meeting and met Walter and they were in, the, in the parking lot, and he I said to them, There's some things happening in politics in California. I'd like to talk to like to talk to you about that before i go back he said it's the first thing on the agenda the other hand. Hmm. and he took me on for my endorsement Bob because he was still with lyndon johnson uh because he thought that that was his proper role which i agree he had a right to do but i also had a right to do what i was doing yeah. uh so he just really lambasted me that board meeting the next day uh the um, second day of, of the board well i called bob kennedy that night and i said you know i'm having this trouble with walter and, and uh, uh and he said well do what you have to do and uh he said what about Treasure Chavez?" and uh i said well you were supposed to talk to him today what happened and he said hey, uh, Chavez is so sick and so weak i didn't have uh and it, i couldn't ask him to go on the delegation. I just said don't want to do that job Well I said, That's not the cold mother kind of a bitch you're supposed to be and then he He said, Yeah, but don't tell anybody, pause. So,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I said, I'll call him and I call him, and uh at four in the
1: morning uh I got calls from his guys uh, uh, that he was going to go. He would go on the delegation, so we accomplished that that night. So, it's, uh, so we, we helped put that, that that organization together, which made Bob uh, uh, really prime candidate in the in the California primary and and for the for the nomination because if he could carry California with that kind of mixed uh, constituencies.
2: Uh,
0: uh, do anything. That was it. Yeah, that was going to be it, man. I mean, and you can really, um, you know, the powers that be, whoever really organized this thing, had to, they had to stop them. I mean, they had to, they had to, uh, they had to uh, make sure that they stopped them. So it's, um, it, it's, you know, for someone like me, I, I wasn't born, I, I was not around in, in the '60s. I was born in 1986, so it, it's kind of hard for me to comprehend what that environment was like. But you know, you have this this situation where. You know, JFK is killed in 63, and then, you know, less than five years later, you know, his brother is killed, and it just, um, Dr. King just... after that. Yeah, and you you actually marched with Dr. King in Selma, right? Uh, or, yeah, when the when, when they, uh, bridge was finally
1: opened and Selma, was uh, opened up, too, you know. But our uh, union uh, actually helped in building the... Uh, uh, the
2: rally in, in, in D.C. Uh, where
1: Dr. King made that famous speech and Walter Luther was one of the speakers and uh, we actually busloaded people out of our southern and middle uh, Atlantic uh, uh, local unions uh, build the, uh, the major audience that, that audience uh, in, in D.C. before the uh, Lincoln
0: Memorial uh, mm-hmm. Was bigger than the uh, audience for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the Trump phenomenon. I mean, it, it's yeah, it almost so, seemed... It, 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 the important thing about that, now is to rally the forces uh, and,
1: and and give King you know a prominent role and and as he should have had in the civil rights movement and that kind of public recognition. Walter Reuther actually got him right after the rally at the Lincoln Memorial, with that big crowd uh, uh, got uh, Dr. King
0: into the White House for the first time to meet uh, President
1: Kennedy. Wow. very real cool and uh, important in uh, the
0: long run. Yeah, because you can, I can really, I can tell just from some of the footage I've seen in the photographs that Dr. King probably had a better relationship with uh, JFK and RFK than he did with uh, Lyndon Johnson because after after seeing that footage of MLK coming out of the meeting, you have a Lyndon Johnson. It looked uh, – or no, I'm, excuse me, it was with J. Edgar Hoover. Um, uh, MLK, MLK had a meeting with J. Edgar Hoover, and the press is talking to him after the meeting, and he just looks like he saw a ghost or something. So it's it, – <laughs> just those times, man, the levers of power. Um, you know, I, I feel like the Kennedy brothers, and especially Bobby, was really willing to, to go into the weeds and, and challenge – um, the establishment that that really his family came from, and I think they were viewed as traitors to their class. Yeah, that's true. So it, it's um, you know, there was certainly. I'm sorry, what's that? That's a lot. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I think it's a great thing. But I think I think obviously, and a lot of historians and a lot of people who have kind of looked at this make the case that really, with the death of Robert Kennedy in 1968, that was the end of really any real hope we had for true progressive politics or a shift in our country. We, we could have a coalition of people, um, you know, to come together to try to make things better for our country and I think in, in a way that the, the death of that kind of idealism really led to Trump eventually and to a lot of our negativity and a lot of our cynicism and mistrust of institutions. Obama was willing to put
1: his life on the line because uh, he was often asked about uh, running for president, and he kept saying, "Oh, you know, uh, that's what I have to do." Uh, and uh, if they're going to shoot, they'll shoot. Right. And he quoted it saying that to you know his friends uh, at the time. And during the first rally in uh, Los Angeles at uh, uh, college campus, uh, had about twelve thousand people there. I wasn't there that day, but I was in the campaign. Full time, and uh,
2: he was uh, open He he made a speech and, and talked
1: about uh, uh, all the, you know, the the big issues that he was dealing with, and a woman kept screaming at him, uh, "Who killed President Kennedy? Who killed President Kennedy?" And uh, he sort of hemmed and hawed at that point, and uh, there's a lot written, all the all the whole crowd was silent at the, that point, uh, he kind of stuttered at first, and he said, uh, then he said, nobody is more interested in who killed President Kennedy than I am. Uh, we'll deal with that as we go. Right. And I thought that was a very threatening statement that he made, uh, threatening him, because he was putting himself out there. And, uh Oh, yeah, I mean. We we carried out a really great campaign and a lot of enthusiasm. He worked his butt off all over the place. Even in San Diego, he was so tired. He practically collapsed uh, in a rally in San Diego on the last night of the campaign.
2: But I think I would stay asleep and uh, then off
1: to the uh, ambassador the next morning.
0: Right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah, I've seen footage, you know, from the campaign and, and he also said, you know, I won't be uh, I wouldn't be a hard man to, to target. And this was, of course, before candidates like him were afforded Secret Service protection. And it really it didn't look like he had much protection at all. Of course, um, Rosie Greer, I think, was kind of served as, a, as an ad hoc bodyguard at that time. And Rayford johnson and he had bill barry who was
1: uh former fbi agent who was a uh, uh, professional uh bodyguard uh, and then he had a lot of other people around him that night Uh Ethel was sort of a pregnant with rory at the time and uh, so uh when i got uh well, actually, I had gone up to San Francisco with Walter Reuser, and he was kind of chiding me about being supporting uh, He was still supporting in Johnson at that point, and we uh, went up for a meeting with I Mullen, who a teacher, he was a hell of a guy, vice president, and uh, uh, I came back, and uh, I was going home. I lived uh, between the airport and the Ambassador Hotel, and I, uh, it sounded like we were ahead, uh, when I first turned on my radio, car radio, and and uh, I lived uh, halfway between the airport and, uh, and the hotel, and I was going to go home because I really never liked uh, uh, victory parties because of just noise and booze and folk. And, uh, <laughs> but I then heard that we were behind uh, Gene McCarthy, and so I decided to go to the hotel. and. Uh, when I got there. A friend of mine in the campaign came up to me. Said, "Bob, heard you're in the hotel. He wants you upstairs." So we went upstairs, and, and, and you know, everybody was really happy that, that the tide had turned. It looked like Bob was going to make it, and, uh, and uh, so we spent all of time, uh, uh, you know, just talking and, and hope, and getting ready to go upstairs. Uh, we waited for quite a long time to go downstairs to the, uh, uh, the uh, colonial room uh, for the uh, rally um, uh, because it, we just wanted to be sure of things. Uh, Bob got a, uh, a call from uh, Kenny O'Donnell, who was JFK's uh, chief aide, that uh, things are okay in Chicago. Which meant that Mayor Daley was now for Robert Kennedy when he was from, actually he been for Lyndon Johnson. And so McGovern uh, called and said, "You know, I, I just won the primary, and 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 you did too. And uh, the vote on the uh, the uh, and, and the Indian, Indian group in in, in in that state had just voted sixty nine for Kennedy and two for for uh King McCarthy. So things that we're really looking up. One of the things that became a problem uh during the afternoon, uh the uh, uh, Frank Bankowitz who was getting calls uh, for uh, Bob Kennedy that the polls had closed early, some polls had closed early in the black community and also the Latino community. And, uh, they got really concerned about it. They sent out runners. They came back laughing. What are you laughing about? Those polls had closed because a hundred percent, kind of cracks me up, but uh, those polls had closed because a hundred percent of the people had voted. And, uh, so we got all these kind of good news, uh, Things going on, and so it really became a very happy group that night, and uh, and finally decided to get out of stairs. Before that, we went uh, uh with Mankowitz and Dutton and Kennedy and uh, his two main guys, and then, uh, we went over uh, the list of people to thank, and we did that. On the way down, Bob said to me, uh, I've Heard that Treasure Cubs couldn't be here. Uh, he had to go home. Uh, Dolores Wert is going to be here at the Vice President of the Union. We don't have her name on, on the list, so would you give me a piece of paper with it? So I dropped back and they went down the, the whole crowd went down the elevator and uh, I got left behind <laughs> with a little note in my hand. So two of us ran down the stairs to the hard down to the, and up with Bob in the kitchen and the he was shaking hands with people in the kitchen, and mostly Latinos and Latina, and he, he was uh, just a very happy guy, and they were too, congratulating him. We finally got out to the platform where he made his victory speech, and uh, there were 1,500 people in that ballroom, which is uh, 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 not supposed to go more, uh, more than a thousand, but the part of our relief. Uh, Really, that issue. So we were very happy. Good, you know, everybody was pleased. Uh, had great, uh, great spirit that night.
0: Yeah, and, and um, you know, as far as security too, that I, I had read that the ambassador hotel w- was supplying their own like outside security, and they they had someone you know who was supposed to watch uh, various rooms and um, you know or the kitchen and. Um,
1: be around and be in the fancy area around the, around the ballroom. Uh,
0: there were armed guards because the ambassador didn't have any armed guards, but so seven were hired, uh, right? Armed guards that night uh, from a private firm, right? Exactly. So, so you know, this the, he's given the speech, and the, the, the mood is ecstatic, and and um, you guys are making your way, you know, past uh. You, um, you know past the kind of behind there and then to the through the pantry and um if you want to just kind of if you're okay talking about what you know what happened next and what you experienced and kind of you well, know was a, as a, we were breaking up um,
1: just as the speech he turned around and introduced me and uh uh grab my hand i was about that but i Remember about that is uh, I was the only one he shook hands with that night because uh, he, he knew that uh, the labor support that I was able to give the campaign was very helpful. So we uh, disbanded. Uh, I got off the platform the way we came in and went down through, through the kitchen area. Waited for him because he was supposed to wind up in the pantry across from the kitchen, and I waited for him. And then he. Bounced in there alone, which I wish which kind of shook me up because none of his bodyguards were with him—not no Rosie, no Grifter, uh, and no Bill Barry—and uh, and he began shaking hands with two guys in the kitchen. The famous one is uh, Juan Romero, Bush boy, who uh, wound up holding his head after he got shot, and uh, I can remember. You know, seeing the kind of looks on their faces that I saw in Elena, one of the Latino farm workers, uh, sort of uh, looking to Robert Kennedy uh, was real hope. And uh, the—and uh, I was behind Bob at that point, and, uh, and he had uh, asked me to corral Jeff Underwood, chair of the campaign, to be with us at the media conference, and he was going
2: to. The television lights went on from NBC and CBS, and they blinded me, and
1: uh, I couldn't see anything, and uh, all of a sudden I started shaking, and and I fell. I thought uh, uh, that I was being electrocuted, that's the way I felt, but uh, I found out soon that uh, I took a head wound from a bullet from uh, uh,
2: Sirhan, Bashar Sirhan. I didn't know who he was at that point, but and he was a
0: shooter that night. Wow. So you, you were actually hit in the forehead. And, and I have I think from an interview you gave, you said if, if the, the shot had been a little bit lower, you would have been killed instantly. Yeah.
1: Wow. Well, I, they thought I was dead. In fact, a friend of mine from a different union uh, uh, took one of the voter campaign hats and had it over my face. And, and then he checked my... Paulson found out I was still alive and yeah. put it under my hand and uh, this it, horrible scene with my head on his hat, you know, with blood flowing into kind of ugly, ugly time. So I was in and out of, uh, uh, not knowing what happened really, but uh, in and out of consciousness for a while. and. and uh, Uh, A doctor was behind me holding my head and uh, said, We're taking
2: you to just receiving hospital,
1: LAPD receiving hospital. I said, But I'm a member of the Kaiser Plan. (laughs) And he said, He laughed. He said, Well, I'm a doctor from Kaiser. I'll get you there. (laughs) That was a uh, a health plan I was involved in (laughs) and a member of. And uh, that's where I didn't wind up finally. uh, We had to go to a different uh, uh, hospital first to be checked out because that was a police procedure. And uh, there were strange things happening that night. Uh, uh, And uh, I found out later that um, a young man told UPI that uh, he heard Bob. uh, first word after he got shot was Is everybody okay? Is Paul all right? And I really didn't believe that for a long time but uh, UPI uh, reported that with the person who, who heard that and uh, so probably a couple of minutes later a doctor um, uh, got to him and uh, he obviously asked Bob, uh, Bob asked him how I was, he said i just checked Paul's pulse and uh, and he, he's going to be okay, and Bob uh, shut his eyes. But then uh, Ethel got to him and uh, and held him, and uh, she said, Bobby, you're going to be okay, and he just kept, his, kind of his last words were Ethel, Ethel,
0: uh, and that was it. Mm. Wow, that is it was a horrible, horrible, horrible time. Yeah. I, I mean, that is, I mean, that is a, you know, one of the most significant and really horrific moments uh, seared into public consciousness. And, and all, of course, the, the photo of uh, Romero, um, you know, trying to comfort him with the rosary and, and hold, you know, cradling him there. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine the chaos. So, so really the opening shot really hit you first and then, you know, Uh, Sirhan is tackled and then five of you were were one of five other people that were wounded, correct?
1: Yeah, I didn't know it was Sirhan at that point, but in in, uh, checking the case for about 50 years now uh, it was Carl Eucher who was Bob's main uh, hotel escort uh, who grabbed him around the neck and threw him at the steam table and laid on top of him and a lot of other people laid on top of him, including Rosie Greer. And so he was unable to move, but he kept uh, automatically firing uh, off six more shots. The first two, uh, one hit Dave, one missed Bob, and uh, then he shot with uh, his last six shots he shot four other people uh, and one going through one of the wounded ones padling. So that's seven bullets that we know of out of, of an eight shot uh, Ivor Johnson uh, uh, revolver. And uh, so he didn't have the four bullets and he was not in position behind Robert Kennedy. He was in, sort of in front of Robert Kennedy and uh, trying to shoot him uh, originally. Uh, uh, We finally found out with bullet comparisons uh, with new uh, camera equipment that the striations on bullets pulled from Kennedy and and, and also from one of the other victims didn't match, which again was proof of the second gunman and uh so we built on we building on that but the second gunman was fired at harrington richardson uh 22 uh with different bullets different guns different bullets different shooters right and that's the case that the lapd has refused to uh recognize they call her the lone gunman and would never admit to the fact that it was, it was a second gunman. would never put out the evidence of the second gun, but which they did have. In fact, they, on the day that Bob died, June 6th, 44 a.m., the uh, Deputy District Attorney in charge of forensics and the crime lab had uh, Dwayne Wolfer, went into the LAPD crime lab that morning. They checked out a gun that they said was... Just like their hands, and Ivor Johnson 22, they fired off three bullets, one representing a bullet taken, the only whole bullet taken from Robert Kennedy, and they fired, and, and the other two bullets from Lysel of uh, uh, the, the PD guy, uh, bullet from his belly with a whole bullet, and one from Ira Goldstein from his blood, another whole bullet. So those are the only three whole bullets. What uh, was found uh, in making a comparison of those bullets, uh, the Kennedy bullet did not match the Goldstein and the Weisel bullets, which proved the second
0: gunman. Right, and they, they, it seems like, Paul, they knew this pretty early on, like you're saying, pretty much almost immediately. Uh, they, had a, they, had, they had a problem. And, and so when, when did you really kind of start to question this? Because, I mean, you, you've been at this for just about 50 solid years. Uh, relentlessly, um, you know, at some time, at times, uh, kind of a lone voice, but um, you've been able to, you know, show RFK Jr. this, but, you know, before we get to that, I just kind of want to know, when did you start to kind of question what happened and, and if it may not. In 1972, uh, Alan Blonstein, a very close friend of Bob's, came out, spent the night, and, and,
1: and uh, told me there were people who were questioning the result, uh, the... Uh, the verdict and had evidence and he said they live in your neighborhood what does it mean i, I know all the people Well, they were a couple of people uh, were about three blocks away what they had was a photograph of two bullets in the door frame behind us because there were three or four bullets uh fired by Sirhan and the second gunman that were uh went wild In fact, uh, three of them them from uh, from Sir Han wound up in the door frames. Well, those door frames, they told they were, uh, they had a photograph of those two bullets in the door frames. Well, those door frames were immediately destroyed by the LAPD, which put up on a a, a crusade of getting to find out the the evidence. And and Alec was very good about... uh,
0: Doing this, and he had all kinds of uh, uh, support uh, around the country, and, and I did too. And we just began working the case. Wow. So, so yeah, uh, Congressman Lowenstein and um, uh, Lowenstein. I actually saw a great interview he did with uh, William F. Buckley talking about yeah. about the case. And uh, I don't know that Buckley necessarily agreed, but he at least heard him out. And they had they seemed to be friendly, and they had a great discussion. Um, so yeah, um, the LAPD and not only did you know, or or could have been the FBI, but it was probably the LAPD from what I've read, they destroyed the uh, they got rid of the door frames as well as the ceiling tile that, that witnesses saw. Um, we moved eight shots. Right more, eight shots. More, right, more than eight shots. And then, you know, of course you have all the wounds and um, that was their campaign against the long Right, yeah, because uh, some somebody's uh, Somebody said almost immediately, like right during the shooting, they're like, you know, don't hurt him or don't kill him. We don't want this to be another Oswald, yeah, you know. So it's, yeah. Uh, so, so you, you, so you are of the mindset that Sirhan was was actually there um, with like a, a loaded gun, and, and you you believe that the the shot that hit. No, I, I don't. Uh, he he's uh, and, and shooting me and
1: shooting uh, four other people with, you know. Uh, five bullets. Uh, so he committed crimes. Uh, he's not an angel in this thing, right? Uh, although uh, when he was con- uh, uh, he was indicted on fake evidence, he was in- convicted on fake evidence of the LAPD and the DA, and uh, in our court, uh, uh, challenged to the. Uh, the verdict uh, and, the, and the sentencing before in the superior court uh that's what we found out the notes that were submitted by the police to the superior court when cbs national and i filed petitions asking for a reevaluation of the evidence that's what we found out but it was a few years afterwards mm-hmm. one of the best investigators out here uh uh, who was a friend of the of the, uh, the, uh, the family of uh, Serhans, she discovered that the bullets that were submitted to the Wanky Court and to the grand jury and to the jury were fake bullets that were fired in the lab of the... The lot of the, 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 the LAPD, uh the, the day that Bob died, those fake bullets actually convicted and sent him to the gas chamber. Fortunately, the, uh, uh, the state Supreme Court uh, uh, canceled the death penalty for uh, seven months back in '72.
0: Right. And, and so he got his sentence of change of parole without. Uh, with parole uh, with uh, uh, Herring. Right. So, so here we are, Paul. All these decades later, you know, fifty plus years later, um, Sirhan, you know, just had his 16th parole hearing. But um, there's there's really dramatic, and I think really um, uh, just the, the the footage of you from his 15th parole hearing in 2016, um, which I think was the first time you had actually ever met him or seen him since the night of the assassination. Um, right. You're you're there just impassionately, you know, calling for his release, and and uh, you know what what was that uh, what was that experience like? Well, mean yeah, the one in 2016, um, I think. Yeah, they, they didn't want to listen to the facts
1: of the case. In fact, the deputy attorney was there; was retired, was challenging. Uh, 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 and, and, and forcing the, uh, the verdict to, uh, against your hand with, with evidence. And I kept challenging him, and the head of the parole board kept saying, Mr. Strait, you know, he had the right to speak. I said, he doesn't have the right to lie to you. And he, he, <laughs> right. I got very angry and, and, uh, and upset with the, the parole board guys because they were uh, sort of, going after Saran and all kinds of issues that sound like they might be releasing him because they were talking about, you know, where he would go and what he was going to do and that sort of thing. But then it turned around on us and he, his parole
0: was uh, uh, extended. Right. So, so, and then, so in 2016, they said he's got an opportunity in five years and, you know, flash forward now to this year. Um, they actually recommended that he be paroled. Uh, what do you think was different about the the environment? And, and could it, do you think it's his age at 77 and the fact that he's been a model prisoner? Um, you know, w- what do you think about the current situation? Model prisoner and, uh, uh, and, and would be uh, able to uh, reinsert
1: him to the, into the population and, and not be a threat to anybody. They, they, that's what the... Uh, the two members of the parole board uh said about him and actually just uh recommended his release and so we're going through a long waiting period and then the governor has to make the final decision uh the big problem now is that six members of the family uh daughters and, and sons of robert F. O. kennedy have come out against his uh being released and in fact calling him a monster and, and all that sort of thing. And challenging me, uh, I got rid of some really hate stuff from a couple of uh, uh,
2: second, third generation Kennedys mm. uh, attacking me publicly uh, for supporting Sir supporting
1: that murderer when they don't know that he didn't murder Robert Kennedy. And they still listen to the, to the evidence, and that's the big crisis we have now with the governor. How can we inform the governor that Sir Han was not the murderer? How do we inform the family he was not the murderer? And uh, the evidence is clear that he was not. Uh, he got off six bullets that uh, Will wounding Me and uh, uh, four other people. Uh, he was out of bullets, out of position. Uh, we have uh, also police evidence of the second gunman, different guns, bullets, shooter. Uh, and now our our challenge uh, to me tonight, tomorrow, and the next day is to is to try to get to the, the governor on this.
0: Well, I, would say, I mean, Paul, you're 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 a survivor of this historical event. You know, you were so close to this and part of this. Um, I, you know, obviously, your voice is very credible, and that's why I wanted to have you on to. I mean, you are a living piece of history, and um, you—you know—you've been fighting this for so long. What was it you think that turned RFK Jr. Um, to 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 looking at the evidence and kind of agreeing with what you're saying? Well, looking at all the forensic
1: bullets, well, uh, different guns, different uh, shooters, uh, and that, uh, and uh, going after the LAPD and, and proving. That they had framed uh uh sirhan uh and that's where i think it was one of the more dramatic moments in my life was uh, seeing a, uh, a film done by a british company of the uh, flight out of la with bob's body and his family and uh staff and uh two other widows uh, uh King and, and and Jackie Kennedy joining uh, uh, Ethel on that plane with about seventy people, but that plane was flown. It was a uh, one of the presidential airport, uh, air force planes, I think number two, that was supplied by Humphrey. They flew out three of the of the, of the kids. The younger kids uh, were with Ethel, but Robert. And uh, Kathleen and Carrie uh, were still back in New York, and they came out on this Air Force plane, landed at LAPD at, at the LA airport, and went to the uh, hospital uh, to be with Ethel and their other siblings, and uh, and uh, and also the view the body. Wow. And, and, and have that visit.
2: Uh, what happened then, they left the, the Ugo Samaritan Hospital with body and the
1: family and 70 people and went to the airport and, and we got back on that plane. Well, that was, that morning, as all of this was happening on that day, the. Uh, a deputy district attorney and the head of the crime lab went into the crime lab took a book, uh, took a uh, gun out of evidence which the head of the crime lab said was the same as the gun fired by Sir Han, The iver johnson 22.
0: 22. they took the iver johnson 22 and fired off three bullets
1: to match the bullets which i talked about before, uh, the one from Kennedy, the one from Liesel, and the one from Goldstein, and they said those bullets that were fired in the lab matched those bullets. The next day, during the wait for Robert Kennedy in in Washington at the, at the, uh, the church, they went to the grand jury called by this Deputy District Attorney and going uh, to Wolfer, the head of the crime lab who fired these fake bullets, said this bullet was fired into Robert Kennedy by the uh, UTMC. This bullet was fired by Sirhan. Sirhan to into Bob Kennedy. Actually, it was a bullet there. he was
0: showing to the grand jury that
1: he fired the day before in the LAPD
0: crime lab. Yeah, I mean that is uh, it's egregious, and in and, and, and of course the way you know Grant Cooper, uh, Sirhan's defense counsel, knew a, a lot of stuff like this and didn't didn't include it, or or, or he he wasn't even though the prosecution and the other. Up- Right, he he wasn't told. Yeah, I'm sorry, he wasn't told a lot of this stuff. So, what you're doing and what you have been doing is you're you're pushing for the investigation to be reopened. Um, You know, what does that look like, and what do you think with all these year, years, these years later, could be discovered or shown? Well, I think we've got to go through this step of 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 seeing that Sirhan gets his
1: pardon and. Kennedy family that they are not, they're not giving uh, any support to the legacy of Robert Kennedy as a man of truth and justice and compassion by using uh, fake evidence uh, against Sirhan. Right. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're criminalizing Sirhan for the, for the shooting which he didn't do. And and the family, six members of the family anyway, three or not, uh, are, are are making a case against hands when they don't have the evidence at their disposal and refuse to listen to me and, and consider me a, a supporter of her Sir Right, and, and That's why I can't talk to them. Yeah,
0: why they won't take my emails. And, and 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 I mean, Paul, I can kind of I've watched some of the interviews with a couple of. Um, Couple of the the children, and I know Ethel has certainly issued a statement. I can understand from the emotional um, side of it how hard it might be to even look at that at your father's death. But I I, I agree with you. I think that you, that I, if it were my father, I would I would I would leave no stone unturned. I know it's an emotional thing. It's very hard, and you know we don't obviously we're not trying to be crass about that or anything. But um, seeing the courage of RFK Jr. and his younger brother, I believe Douglas ha- has. Douglas, and then I think um, Kathleen hasn't made a statement yet, but a few years ago I know that she said that RFK. okay on this, but doesn't want to really with the on it. Right. Oh, you've talked to her about it? Yeah, I know Kathleen very well because she was the first
1: one to support our project, a uh, 20 year project of tearing down the Ambassador Hotel with the scene of the crime
0: and building a. a, a, a a new school? Yeah, the schools. Uh, with the. With, called the Robert Kennedy Community Schools. With the, library, with the library named after you. Yeah. Yeah. It was really nice. The Kennedy family
1: to agree to that. And uh, other people involved in the building of it. But that was a $600 million school, and we got taken on by the <laughs> New York Times and, and other journalists, I'd say, the most expensive school ever built in the country. <laughs> And uh, I wrote back to him right away saying, you know, you all get off your computers and off your butts and go out and see that school. There are six high schools with different curriculum, three middle schools with different curriculum, and three elementary schools. There's 12 schools on that site, it's not one school.
2: Wow. And that's, and so Successful. We've got 42,000 people in that school, uh, mostly from Central
1: America and the black community and also uh, the uh, other racial group, the Korean, Uh, that that area is known as Koreatown, where the ambassador was, and uh, and, uh, so we had support from the Korean community as well in getting that school built.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a huge part of uh, Senator Kennedy's legacy. Obviously, um, we were coming up on the hour here, Paul, but I, I know you don't like to speculate you know, who the second gunman was, but I've heard, uh, you know, RFK Jr. say that he thinks it was the security guard, Thane Caesar. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that?
2: was assigned to the door of the pantry uh, to keep people out who didn't shouldn't go to the
1: press conference that Bob was going to hold on the other side of the pantry in the cooling room. What he did was when Bob came out alone, he grabbed Bob by the arm and led him into the pantry. And uh, I was with him at that point. So when Sir Hans started firing, uh, Z. Eugene Caesar said, I saw the gunfire of Sir Hans. I didn't see his gun. Uh, I saw his gun, but I didn't see him. And, uh, he then said, I fell with Kennedy and, uh, his tie was ripped off. And so, uh, he got up and, uh, later, uh, he went, uh, 15 minutes later, he went to the, uh, uh, a radio reporter and said, uh, you know, I was uh, there standing behind uh, Kennedy and I heard four shots. Well, those four shots were 13 shots. How could he hear four distinct shots? And uh, he hated the Kennedy. He said the blacks are not going go to take over the country. We're going right. to deal with them. He said that early on. He uh, yeah. was a racist who hated the Kennedys. So all the elements are there. But how do you finally say it was his gun? The gun that was used, we know from the bullet evidence, was a Harrington Richardson. He owned a Harrington Richardson gun, the same kind of gun that was there, so it could have been his gun. Again, another uh, reason to suspect him. But then he lied about selling the gun because he was being questioned by the LAPD because he was there that night, and he said he sold the gun in January. He was a Lockheed uh, plumber. Said he sold that gun uh, in January or February, but then uh, uh, one of the best investigators, uh, Ted Shrock, who wrote uh, the second gun, a book that's still out and one of the best uh, on the on the, on the on the whole case. Uh, interviewed uh, the owner of the gun, who said, no, I bought this in June of 1958, uh, and showed him a receipt uh, showing uh, the gun was sold to him by uh, uh, Eugene Caesar in 1968. And, and the owner the purchaser of the gun, who was a, had been an engineer at Lockheed, where uh, um, a uh, teacher also worked as a, as a bomber. He said, uh, "I was told by uh, Peter that be careful.' This he was used in a police action in, 19th, in June of '68. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, there's enough evidence there to accuse him, but I, I want to be very careful about that."
0: Yeah, it, yeah, it's good to be judicious about that, and, and uh, um, but yeah, I mean, certainly him lying about that, and then. Uh, you know it, a lot of the evidence shows he could have been in the position to do that he was he was interviewed a number of times by uh, Dan Muldea, and of course Muldea. Uh, i don't know if you know him or not but he you know he was a re- I worked with him I stayed his apartment in Washington and we were working on case together and so he's he's kind of since changed his view on it and he did like he that us. <laughs> what what's that he jilted us. yeah cuz cuz Right, right, yeah, because there's footage of certain. Well, really wrong about the eight bullets. That's, 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 the, that's the position of the LAPD and the district attorneys. Right. For 52 years. Well, he's, only, he's only saying what they're saying. And now Caesar and has. the also had a contract, had a contract with King Eugene Caesar. Uh,
1: and, uh, and so when Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, a few months ago, wanted to talk to Caesar and interview him. Uh, he, he,
0: he a couple of years back, he had to go through uh, Dan Moldea, and Dan
1: Moldea said the fee is twenty five thousand dollars to you, Bob, to interview
0: Caesar in the Philippines. I had heard that. Yeah, back in twenty nineteen, before he died. Um, yeah. So yeah, he's gone now. So you know, it's. Um, I think it's incumbent on us to continue to talk about this case, um, especially. Um, if there's, there's all Don't this, evidence, about it. Do about it. yeah, well, well, yeah, talk about it, do something about it. Um, and I hope that governor Newsom, you know, can, you know, would meet with you or, I mean, is there any, any kind of, uh, any traction on that or? Oh, I'm getting, uh, I've
1: got contacts in the governor's office. I've been really working hard to be at that. Uh, and I'm going to lay this down on them and say, how do we get this to the governor? And, uh, excellent. You open up the gates that way so
0: well Paul you are a huge inspiration man you are a kicking ass and you haven't stopped um, you're, you're a big influence on me I've been looking into this case for about 20 years and um, you know I, I just want to thank you for your your courage and your tireless efforts and uh, just speaking to this and speaking with us tonight um, before we end the broadcast do you have any final thoughts or anything you'd like to you know plug no, or say? I you don't know
1: what they're doing with it yet, wow. but that's my purpose: is getting the story out because nobody else is. And uh, when I talk to the media, they say, "Well, Paul believes, or Paul thinks," and it's, and they never hear it carry any evidence. Right? I'm prepared to give them it. They're just saying the Kennedys are uh, against the parole. You know, right? It becomes the the, the the same line as the, as most of the media in California, except for.
0: One or two brain souls. Right. Yeah. That's the narrative. You know, they do the appeal to emotion. And of course, it's very emotional for everybody. But you're you, you you're a part of this and you have so many important things to say and you've got the evidence on your side. So, again, Paul, I thank you very much. And um, let's, uh, you know, let's see where this, this thing goes uh, in the coming months. Well, thanks so much, Mike and uh, Eric. And good to be with you. Absolutely. We will talk to you soon. Okay. All right. You. Thank you.